Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But as you know by now, we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. According to a Pew Research Center survey, 24% of teenagers are online almost constantly, so it's essential that they know how to handle themselves. While many parents and educators worry that kids could easily become addicted, detached, or distracted because of the way their digital devices have become a key component in their lives, we have now heard from several experts, including innovation expert George Koros, leadership and digital learning expert Eric Scheninger, and others that technology can be a wonderful tool if used wisely. We know that we have recently been cautioned by Sue Sheff, author of Shame Nation, about the need for education about online shaming, and we have gained insight from Common Sense Media's Caroline Knorr about the need to help our kids become media savvy in a media-saturated world. So, how do we raise our children using our social wisdom in a world fueled by technology? Perhaps you feel like technology has invaded your home and isn't always a welcomed guest. Our children haven't known anything different. They are digital natives. And our next guest believes that our kids need our guidance more than ever to supplement their digital use and understanding. Devorah Heitner, PhD, is the author of ScreenWise, helping kids thrive and survive in their digital world and the founder of Raising Digital Natives. She passionately believes in the power of mentoring kids in creating a positive tech culture, and she is delighted to be raising her own digital native. We have so much to learn about media, about technology, about kids, and how we can help them become the digital natives that really are helping to fuel our world and make incredible strides in it. I want to welcome Devorah Heitner to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So before we get into the meat of the matter, if uh, you can tell us, for those who haven't heard you speak or maybe read your book, can you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and what made you so interested in technology and raising digital natives? Wow, that's a great question. There, there's, there's, no, there's no one moment. I'm a media historian, so my PhD is actually in the history of television. And I was teaching a class on kids' media culture every year. I used to be a college professor. And I would take my students to watch families make purchasing decisions and observe kids playing video games. And I saw such an interesting divide between my 18 to 22-year-old undergrads and the third graders that we would study. And I thought, well, this is really interesting because that was the early sort of uh, MySpace to Facebook generation, the, the, my college students in the early, in the, in the sort of 2007 to 2012 era that were just, you know, they'd been on MySpace in high school, they're Facebook kids in college, they were using some other apps socially, they were starting to text and starting to be less responsive to email. And I was learning a lot about kids from, from those kids. And then I had my own kid in 2009. And my friends were all asking these hard questions about, should I get my kid's Twitter handle now? Should I keep them offline till they're 25? Should I never share their picture? Should I always share their picture? So just these huge questions, because I think we can all agree that smartphones and social media, you know, prof offer profoundly new ways to interact that were transformative in all, all of our relationships. And so as a media historian, that kind of moment is really interesting for me. And as a media historian, 
I was not surprised that it created a lot of anxiety for people because when you have transformative tech, it always creates anxiety about what does this mean for us as human beings, as families, as a society. So I got really excited about that and started speaking about it uh, in 2011 and 2012 and then just quickly realized I wanted to quit my professor job, do this full time, write a book about it for parents, <laughs> etc. So it really took me in a whole different direction. Wow. Okay. Well, we're glad it did because we need your knowledge so much right now. I would like to know, how do you know if your child or when your child is ready for the big milestone, like getting their first, first phone or getting a social media account? Well, you absolutely want to look at their personality and how they've handled other opportunities for independent decision making, how well they function if they have to solve a problem, like if they were trying to, you know, if they if they got disconnected from you in a public place like a mall or a library, how would they find you or are they ready to take public transit on their own? Really look at what is their problem solving ability? How do they, specifically with social media or a phone, how well do they deal with conflict? Are they good at managing hurt feelings without escalating? So those are some of the questions I would look at. And if I had some concerns in those areas, I would really think about what can I do as a parent to nurture my child's ability to make decisions or to be less impulsive before I give them an opportunity to maybe get on musically and be impulsive in a way that could be harmful or dangerous. So really I would, I would work backwards from this, you know, from the thing you're worried about and then think about, well, what can I do to help build this skill set? And also think about how you could collaborate on something together. If you're wanting your child to learn texting, maybe they could do a little bit of texting with you before they're ready to go text with the world. So interesting because I, I just recently with my third grader um, really had her start to make her own play dates by getting on the phone, you know, old school and calling people, which I know is not done that much these days, but I really wanted her to have these phone skills. And I was finding myself consistently texting other parents, like, are, are, is so-and-so available? And I, like, I have got to cut this out. Let me teach her how to get on the phone, make the phone call. And I, I wrote out a note for her, which now she knows how to do it, but wrote out the note and exactly how she can say it. And we talked through it and she got used to it. She was really very nervous about it in the beginning, but you know, learned how to do it. But she did it with me first. And I find what you're saying to be completely logical that we need to help our kids learn how to use this this technology first with us and then they can bring it out into the world. That makes complete sense to me. I like that. And I love that you wrote it out with her because that probably made her feel a lot more confident mm -hmm. and gave her some some feeling empowerment. I mean there are she's way ahead of a lot of twenty year olds because I, I talk to pediatricians who's you know have patients who are aging out of their practice they're in college and they still won't call their own physician their mothers will call because they don't like to get on the phone because they don't feel confident in their phone skills right so your third grader you know I mean that's the next step right if she doesn't feel well could she get on the phone and describe her symptoms I think it's fine to call the pediatrician by the way for your third grader sure. but I do think you don't want your 20 year old in a situation where they can't call a doctor make an appointment you know, exactly. do a job interview over the phone. Right. Life skills. There are life skills. And, and that is exactly, you know, it, it was something that I said to myself, I really want my kid to know this and to learn it. And she was nervous about it. So, you know, it was a, a couple of years ago when I first wrote it out with her, um, you know, it was probably when she was in first grade and she started doing with her, you know, one of her best friends. Now she started doing it with some other friends of hers and, you know, calling and leaving messages or speaking directly to the parent. She knows the parent is the one who's going to be answering because it's their phone and then what's what happens now is that that parent is having their child call me so it kind of created more normalcy around having the kids do the calling so I think it's 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 the same idea that now we're moving into this you know this technology area where our younger children are going to become of in a certain age to start using technology and we help them use it wisely and use it in a way that, that they are confident 
and, and know hopefully that you would approve of what they were doing as well. Absolutely. So you say that media and social media as well can offer a huge opportunity and potential to those who use it. So how can you set a positive example and a positive tone through your own approach to technology? Well, you can have great boundaries around it and not be afraid to unplug and be unavailable and to trust that the people in your life who try to reach you will live if they can't reach you at all times. And that, that's, that's really important because kids have a lot of connectivity anxiety these days. Once they get to be playing games in public servers or texting or certainly having personal devices, they can get real worried about, oh, if my friend tries to reach me and I don't respond, is she going to get mad? Is he going to be disappointed or upset? So showing them that that's okay and that human beings can't be 24-7 accessible because we need to sleep and eat and spend face-to-face -face time with people is, is really important. And, and that's something we can easily model for our kids. But we're so anxious about being unreachable and we're not totally sure that it's okay to, <laughs> to not be reachable. Right. Or, and we get so impatient when we can't connect with people. So that's a huge thing we can do is model that patience as well. When we try to reach someone and they're not available is even talking that through with a kid and saying, you know, I can say to my son, wow, it would be really great to know if Papa wants to meet us for dinner, but I bet he's interviewing someone right now or in a meeting. So I'm not going to leave him 50 messages because that would be really annoying. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to trust that he'll get back to us when he can. Right, right. That makes sense to me. And and it's important. it is an important lesson for our kids to learn because certainly whatever we're doing is the thing that they're most likely to echo. So what are some of the key issues that we need to discuss with our children as they grow up in this digital age. What are what would you say are maybe three or four things that we really need to make sure we discuss with our children as they are growing up and probably taking on some some new opportunities and privileges around media. Well, there's three areas that I really focus on and that I focused on in Screenwise and they are relationships, how we relate with our teachers, our friends, other family members, our peers, etc. And then reputation, which is how people in the more general public might perceive us, how people would know things about us, our searchability. And then time management, which is how we think about when it's time to stop, whether it's playing Minecraft or texting or turning off Netflix to go to bed. And I think most families find that there's a challenge in at least one of these areas, but many of us have challenges in all three. Um, most of us have some relationship challenges that come up via digital. They're not necessarily caused by digital, but we, you know, our phones kind of hold, hold our, our relationships up to the light. So we want to talk with kids about very simply just remembering that there's another human being on the other end of all these digital communications. So really to think about our tone, think about how something we text or comment on, on social media might be perceived, how it might be read, how a picture we share might be experienced by someone who wasn't there. Uh, or even someone who was there, how they might feel about us sharing that picture. So just making choices, always recollecting that these are other human beings that we're communicating with. That's really huge. And that that's uh, that solves a lot of problems right there, just, just remembering that. And then also remembering that some things are too important to talk about in digital spaces. And so really maybe parents may want to brainstorm with kids about mm -hmm. what are some topics that are so mm -hmm. important or so heavy that we don't really text about them, we would call up or even better yet, talk in person, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, you just, you just said something about that, that kind of piqued my interest, which is about knowing when it's time to get off. And I'm wondering in, in a more even specific or specific sense, like, how do you know when it's important for your child to maybe completely unplug? Or is that not even an option these days? I think it's really tough once kids have personal devices, because like, like the way we relate with our personal devices, it's a little bit like their oxygen tank, or, you know, you do see that it's quite difficult to connect, uh, disconnect an adult from his or her device. It's and true, a lot of us true. are sleeping with our phones. So when you tell a teenager, you know, put that away or taking it out of your room or you can absolutely do that. And I, I think there's a lot of good reasons to unplug teenagers and even adults at night and unplug ourselves at night. But, but, but you are, it is challenging, right? 
But I think we can model, we can plan your home space in such a way that when our kids are little, the tech isn't everywhere. We might not want tech to be ubiquitous, even though it's mobile, even though we can carry a lot of tech around with us. So there's no obvious space in our home that's tech-free. We might decide that the kitchen or the dining room table is a tech-free space or the bedroom. And that's a decision we can make. And we can do things that reinforce that decision. We can decide that our kids are only using connected tech near us. Like for as little kids, you don't really want your kid very far away from you if they're YouTubing or Googling or using connected tech because it's so unpredictable. Um, So if my kid's going to be far away from me in my home using tech, then I want him to be using a game or an app that's more closed, that's more of a walled garden. Um, Knowing when to stop is not something most kids will get to on their own. Some kids will self-regulate and say, I've had enough TV or I've had enough Minecraft, but there are kids who would never go to sleep and, you know, would never eat. (laughs) So those kids are going to need some help planning to self-regulate, whether it's using an external control like an app or setting a timer or letting them know what time they need to be done by. Um, Some people absolutely use router level controls and other things, but I would definitely encourage parents to not just give kids a hard limit if that's what what you want to do, but also talk with kids about balance and why we want to do other things. I mean, even get from kids what they think a good balance would be. Because a lot of kids at least would have an idea of what they think a balanced day or a weekend day or an evening would look like. So I wouldn't assume that your kids, you know, have no sense of balance, um, but they may need help enforcing that. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, you know, I know that it's pretty important to have a a time around the dinner table when there's no technology. I mean, when we were little, we made sure the TV was off. Now we have, you know, at our own dinner table, we make sure that we're we don't have phones at the dinner table, which is I think is really important. But it's everybody's going to have a different rule. Same thing with about the the bedroom, like you were saying. In order for to ensure that children get a good night's sleep, it could be very challenging to allow phones in their room, uh, certainly after a certain time at night, because they may be more liable to look at their phone at three in the morning and then be up because something's happening or somebody said something. So I, I think people need to come up with their rules in their house. And and I like the idea that you're talking about, about making sure that you strike that that situation, that, that idea now when the children may be younger so that when they're older, they think to themselves, well, of course we don't have the phone at the dinner table. We never have. Right. And it's a lot easier to do that if you haven't been texting and driving or texting during dinner when they're toddlers and six-year-olds or whatever, because they are observing us. When I ask elementary school kids, I mean, I do workshops all over the country and kids will tell me these tales out of school, but their parents texting and driving. So when I ask parents, do you text and drive? Of course they say no, but their kids are telling a different story. So don't, don't think that your kids don't see you. I mean, (laughs) they do. They're absolutely seeing you. Right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Okay, so you talk in your book about monitoring versus mentoring. And as a mom of a digital native, what are some of the tips you can give us about making sure that we keep our kids safe while also ensuring that we're not disrespecting their privacy? Absolutely. Well, mentoring is a lot more work than monitoring, but it's also a lot more interesting and rewarding. You're going to get to know more about your kid's world. So Mm -hmm. asking your child to reflect on what they see, whether it's asking your third grader, you know, do you have any friends who get too angry when they lose in an online game or asking your middle schooler, you know, do you see boys versus girls behaving maybe differently in a group text or on social media, getting them, in other words, to observe and share with you their perspective, their expertise and treating them like their expertise is relevant Uh, is really, really helpful. It gets them talking, especially if you ask them more general questions as opposed to, you know, how do you use these things? Um, Asking them maybe, is there a celebrity whose online presence you admire? And then you can dive into that conversation and talk about, you know, okay, so what do you admire about that person? Or if you want to use an app, how do you see other kids using that app? And what are some of the pitfalls? Like what could go wrong on that app? As much as possible, we want to be kind of collaborating and, and co-creating with our kids 
the solutions and the approaches that we're going to take to tech. So that's not always going to work 100% of the time. Sometimes we just need to draw a hard line as parents and say, you know what, I'm not collaborating you with you on my approach to this. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. But as much as possible, if we can do that, we're going to learn a lot more about their friends. Whereas if we simply monitor, we're going to get a lot of very disconnected data. You know, we may get their texts, for example, but you're not going to know what those things mean. You're not going to know the context what you are going to learn are some things that are honestly hard to know how to deal with, like that your fr- your kids' friends have potty mouths. You're going to learn that your kids' friends know a lot of bad words. Mm. What do you, what are you prepared to do with that knowledge? Right, sure. And and this idea of mentoring, it, it certainly seems to take a lot more time, um, and it's not just about being, you know, sort of the example, but actually educating your child, bringing them through different scenarios, talking through certain situations, maybe bringing in things that happened in the news or something you heard about in town. These are all different ways that we can start to mentor our children and ask them, what would you do in this situation? And here's, here might, here's, here are some ways that that I've had to deal with this type of situation or my friends have had to deal with this situation. What do you think about the way they handled it? That way that they get some education around it, but, but are thinking through it with you, even if they have maybe a different approach to how they would handle it. Right. And mentoring, a lot of it is about repair and some of it is about, you know, sort of the prep and for example, again, working with kids before they get on social media to think about what things can go wrong or working with them before they start texting to think about what would you do if someone said something mean about another peer on the group text. So those are great pre-conversations, but it's good to revisit that once you're actually in the situation because kids need some help repairing and we shouldn't assume that being a good parent and having mentored well means our kid will never do anything wrong and will never be faced with that's for a sure. decision where they go down the wrong road or they, they wish they'd handled it differently because that's a very unrealistic standard, especially given that we're giving kids phones and social media at one of the low points of judgment of all time, which for most kids is middle school, right? It's not, if we look at our own own narrative of our judgment, whether it's about fashion or friends or anything else, most of us would not say the high point of our, our, of our lives was was middle school. No, I don't think so. so. You have to say, well, it's it's inevitable that kids will make mistakes. And the good thing is if they have an open, trusting relationship with you, you can help them not by, again, getting in the middle of it with them and their friends generally, but by helping them think about, well, what are my options here? And you may have some ideas that they haven't thought of, but even giving them the space to, to say, you know what, you're still a good kid. I know you feel disappointed about how you handled that situation. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm bummed too. Maybe I wish you'd handled it differently, but let's move forward. And how can we move forward? I think that's so important because a lot of parents are so focused on prevention. And then when their kid does make a decision, you know, to text someone in the middle of the night or send an inappropriate picture or share with friends, a YouTube video that they shouldn't have really shared with anybody or even seen themselves you're going to feel like a failure as a parent. And that's the moment to really step up and mentor and help our kids through it so that it can be a learning experience and maybe even a funny story down the road as opposed to, oh my gosh, you know, what can we do? And I just have to take the phones away, which, you know, again, it's your prerogative as a parent, but it's not a long-term solution to the problem. So let's say we are in that situation and a child has, you have talked to them about not using the phone in the middle of the night. You've talked to them about not sending the mean text or the picture that they shouldn't have sent. And they went ahead and did it. So what is the repairing script? What is it that we say to our kids in that situation so that we don't fly off the handle and say, we've already talked about this. How how could you do that? And instead, do the thing that is helpful and mentor our child. It's tricky, and it does depend a little bit on the situation, but I would ask them why it's so hard maybe to regulate around that issue. And again, not in a, you know, what's wrong with you, but just it seems like there's some situations where it's really hard to make the right choice. What can you do then to avoid that situation? And to use a really simple metaphor, like for me, having Halloween candy in the house wasn't really successful. It never really works out very well for me. And so I've learned that I can't really have it in the house. So we donated it a couple days later. Mm-hmm. My kid got to keep his, but the, the, you know, the, the oodles that we bought to give away, we got rid of. And 
I, I just don't seem to be able to control myself around Halloween candy for whatever reason. And so I just got it out of my house. So I think rather than feel like a failure, right? So maybe if a kid repeatedly is making mistakes on a certain app, maybe they do need to take a few months where they take that app off readily accessible. Either they get rid of the account completely, or maybe they just take that app and put it somewhere where it's less readily accessible. Like if I took Facebook off my phone, if Facebook was distracting me at work, I could take it off my phone. I'm not shutting down my Facebook account. I'm not disappearing from that world, but I'm making it a lot less accessible to, for regular updates and regular distractions. So doing things like that, and ideally, if the kid can come up with that idea themselves, so it's less of a punitive, but more of a, this is how I'm keeping myself out of hot water. This is how I'm keeping myself from eating so much candy I get sick. You know, if they can come up with, oh, what, what if I took this app off my phone or what if I put my phone on airplane mode when I'm doing homework right, on their own? That's, that's the ideal. Uh, that's not always going to happen. I don't think kids always come up with the perfect solution on their own, but I've seen a lot of kids come up with pretty good ideas for removing a temptation that's distracting. Um, sometimes it's about blocking someone or cutting off contact with them. You know, if seeing that person's pictures is always going to upset you and they're never sharing any content that makes you happy, maybe you don't want to be following them anymore. <laughs> it's a very yeah. good point. And I, I I saw that you've said something like this before. Uh, you actually posted a, a really great article in the New York Times about rules and how really a lot of the social media rules come from the kids themselves, that they are regulating themselves in many ways. So as an education consultant, what are some of the rules that you find kids are imposing on themselves? And why do you find these rules so dizzying and yet important at the same time? Yeah, and these rules are very, uh, kids' rules are often very local. So I would say it's not just because one set of kids at a certain age in a certain place imposes these rules on one another. It may, it may vary even from click to click in different, different middle and high schools. But kids have rules about sort of how sexual to be. For example, if, if they would share a bathing suit picture um, and if that would be kind of an acceptable way to be positive and share or if that would be considered a little too sexy um, so some of, some of those limits I find troubling and concerning, actually, because I think there's a way that, you know, for example, girls are slut shaming each other, limiting each other. I don't I don't as a mother and as a feminist love that. But it's interesting to know that kids have these ideas and that boys um, also have ideas about what girls should do, what boys should do. Right. Certain kinds of words and language, like some kinds of bad words might be OK. Others might be kind of beyond the pale. Some kids may find uh, certain kinds of humor totally inappropriate. Other kids may find that acceptable. So the most important thing is to know what your kid perceives as the rules in their community. Um, another thing is bragging. Kids talked a lot about what kinds of pictures and, and posts would be kind of considered bragging or, you know, sort of too much. Right, and on I think vacation adults, or it was yeah. their house. Yes. Yeah. As adults, we have that too, though. We see people posting and it can feel like too much. I mean, I ask myself sure. that question as someone who has both a professional and a personal presence on social media. You know, if I get a really cool invitation to, to speak somewhere, you know, do I post that on my personal Facebook? How much is going to be annoying to like my sister or my, my cousins or, mm -hmm. you know, other people are following me only to see cute pictures of my kid and don't really want the blow by blow of my career. You know, um, other people might've connected with me because of my career and don't want the cute pictures of my kids. So it's, I think it's really tricky and kids are trying to manage multiple people. They're trying to impress their friends, but also, they know that their friend's parents may look at them. Their coach may be looking at their social media. So they're also trying to navigate that multiplicity. And um, I think we, we shouldn't be too harsh with kids when they get it wrong. They're quite harsh with one another. And I would also encourage your child to be less harshly critical of someone who may come across the wrong way, but instead try to be understanding. Um, you know, And if it's a close friend, if they have advice for them or other things, that might be helpful. But I think we... We don't want to overfocus on kids, you know, keeping each other in line as much as kids protecting their own tender hearts. You know, if you have a friend who in the group text is making you feel bad every night, you absolutely have to talk with them or disconnect from them. I mean, mm -hmm. those are the options, mm -hmm. right? You, you can't continue to just go back to places that make you feel bad. I think it's really okay for kids to know that it's okay to not be part of everything. And if something is making you feel wretched, um, 
stand up for yourself. And whether that's by getting out of the conversation or confronting the person kind of depends on their relative importance to you. But I think it's okay for our kids to know that they don't have to just take it. (laughs) So a lot of kids feel like they're really stuck in these conversations. Right. Absolutely. So what would you do if you are in a situation where you have your own rules, but you find that your child goes over to other people's houses and they have different rules? So what is it that you can do about that? Is there is there something to do or are we supposed to just leave it? I would, as, when your kids are little, if you know that there's a home that they're going to go to where, for example, there's completely unrestricted internet access and no supervision, say you have like a five or six-year-old or even an eight or nine-year-old and you're thinking, you know what, I'd really rather they didn't see porn yet. I know it's going to happen at some point, but you know, not in second grade, you might want to have that kid over to your house. I mean, if you know for a fact, I mean, my kid has some friends where I know that there's there's a lot going on in that family's life and there's not a lot of supervision and that's that's what's going on, you know, and, and there's unrestricted access to internet. I might say, well, see if that kid will come over here um, or see if you can play outside because I really don't want my kid just Googling it. And I think that's, that's really important to me. Now, if, if you can have that conversation with the other family, that's tricky. And sometimes things will happen on your watch that you'll have to disclose to another family too. As kids get older, you can say to them, you know what, sweetie, I don't want you to play Grand Theft Auto, but I know your friend also has, you know, Mario. Can you play that when you go over there? So you can, you, you're, you can hope that your kid will make the right choice knowing that there's some peer pressure in, and, and decide, can, can I live with it? You know, maybe if your kid is 12, you don't want them maybe playing Grand Theft Auto, but you don't feel like you can't live with it. Um, if it happened, you could, you could, you could move through that, but maybe you could feel, you'd feel differently if your kid was seven. <laughs> so sure. Yeah. No kidding. I, I think it's really important to just decide what, what's my bottom line? Like, what are the things I absolutely can't abide? And then knowing, you know, that your, your child and, and know your child, some kids are very assertive and will set really great limits based on your family's values, even in another kid's house. Other kids are more shy or just less apt to assert themselves that way. And those kids may, it may be hard if you can say to another parent something that's not, you know, tech shaming, but something that's more like, oh, my kid's really sensitive to content. So could you make sure they don't watch mm. movies because he'll have bad dreams? Yeah, Even for sure. You're thinking, Why the heck are you letting first graders watch R-rated movies? You know, y- you don't say that. You just kind of put it on your, you and your kid. <laughs> you right. Know, right. No, good point. I, my daughter would have, she gets terrible nightmares from from movies, um, and and uh, so do I, to be honest. So, like, yeah, I prefer not to watch them as as well. Okay, so text text shaming. I've never even heard that term before. Text shaming. That's like getting making sure that you're not uh, saying mean things about the way other people use tech in their world. Is that what that is? Exactly. And actually, I, I'll call out my friend Alexandra Samuel, who writes really great stuff about both tech and efficiency and also tech and kids with special needs. So check, check her out on Twitter. But she she talks about techno shaming in an Atlantic article. And, and one of the things that I see is that parents are so techno shamed by whatever they've heard from their pediatrician at some point or whatever their mm-hmm. mother-in-law said to them that one sure. time. Or that one time they did let their kid on the phone in the restaurant and some other family, you know, eyeballed them and huh. gave them the look of like, and, and maybe wrote a blog post about them and took their picture. Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> but you, you do see blog posts about, you know, that other family at the restaurant. Yes. And every once in a while I thought, well, was that me that one time we were at McDonald's? You know, it wasn't really like my top day of parenting ever. Um so I think when we techno shame within communities and when we judge other people, we're shutting down the conversation and then it's making it hard when our kids are on the digital sandbox together. It makes it hard to reach out to the other sixth grade parents and say, Hey, I know our kids are group texting, you know, let's talk about the use of the B word for girls mm-hmm. or let's talk about, you know, like let's have a proactive conversation about you know, an issue that I think we can address as opposed to let me tell you why I think you're a bad person because blah, 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 blah. Like once you start judging, you know, we are all going to have different philosophies, but I think that really shuts people down. And people who are very open about other challenges they're having with parenting get real shut down about screen time. And I think it's because of techno shaming because we're all supposed to pretend that our kids didn't have screen time. So, I mean, let me just say my kid just had five days off of school in a cold climate 
And he did a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, online gaming. I mean, we, and, and I had the cousins take him to a movie and we, we did a lot of things as a family and some of it was shared screen time. There's a lot of screen time going on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in those five days off of school. And so I think, you know, if we go by, you're a better parent if your kid have, has fewer minutes of connectivity, um, a lot of us may then feel very shut down and like we can't even talk about, well, what is our kid doing on there? And I want to get to the conversation about quality. What are our kids doing on there? What's their experience like? Is it enhancing their friendships? Is it enhancing their collaborative skills? Is it fun for them? Is it a creative outlet or is it a bummer? Is it driving them crazy? Is it stressing them and making them feel anxious? And those are the conversations I want to have. And we can't have those if I know that other parents are already looking down on me because my kid you know, got 90 minutes of screen time yesterday while he was off of school or whatever. So once we start shaming, the walls come down. Um, so what, you know, you, you mentioned all these positive things that can come from technology. So what are we really hoping our kids are doing with technology that is going to light their fire, is going to be a great advantage to them? What, what are we hoping for? We're hoping that they are not being tripped up by some of the things that challenged us, like bad handwriting really set me back in middle school and even in high school. And that's a, a, my kid also has bad handwriting, and I think he'll be much less handicapped by his bad handwriting. For kids who have diagnosed disabilities, whether on the spectrum or dyslexia, there's actually tons of incredible tech that helps. I mean, if, if you haven't seen the assistive fonts for kids with dyslexia, I, I, to, to, to call it miraculous and life-changing is not an understatement. I mean, mm, these are wow. things that are truly helping people, um, you know, work at a much higher level. Um, so all of us, I think our superpowers are enhanced by tech in some ways. My parenting is enhanced by tech just by the fact that I can keep a joint digital calendar with my husband. Uh, I, I can't imagine how we could have had the jobs we have and the lives we have without, I mean, I know people did, Right. I know people were two working parents and, you know, before there was digital calendar sharing. But I truly think our lives would have been more stressful (laughs) and more taxed and that our kid might have been waiting once or twice at daycare with them calling both of us frantically. Like, where the heck are you Um, without a shared digital calendar? So, I mean, I just feel like just tools like that that we discount that we take for granted make our lives better. Um, Can our kids be distracted? Can we all lose sleep to Netflix binges? You know, are there downsides? Absolutely. You know, that's it. That is an important thing. I actually would like to talk about that because I I think the scripting is important here. You know, if we find that our child is distracted, that they aren't finishing their homework, that they seem like they're having more than one conversation at a time, they just aren't all there because maybe the digital world is more interesting or important to them, or it's the immediate thing that's right then and there um, instead of what's happening in the kitchen or the car or the dinner table. What would you say to that child? What would you do if that child was in front of you right now? What is the conversation we would need to have if they are consistently distracted by media? Well, I would definitely stay off the moral high ground and talk about my own distraction and how in order to write my two books, I had to turn off the Wi-Fi to get them done and that I'd still be writing screen-wise if I hadn't turned off the Wi-Fi. That's a very that's good really point. Important. Very good point. So, and I would really talk about, these are some hacks I came up with. Like I had a minimum word count. I turned off my Wi-Fi every day until I reached that word count. Then sometimes in the afternoon, I would go through another period with no Wi-Fi where I wouldn't allow myself a snack until I had a certain word count. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are the hacks that work for our kids? Certainly teaching our kids that double screening is not effective. So if I'm sitting down to watch my favorite show and I also have my phone out and I'm also texting, I'm communicating something with my kid again. uh, Most kids will need help coming up with things to help them focus on homework uh, sometimes parents are printing out worksheets and reading. There, there are some questions about whether any of us can really read online as well as we read print. So I, I'm agnostic. The, the studies are not conclusive. But in the meantime, if your kid seems to do better reading in print, being able to write on the page, they may need to print out or buy textbooks. So that's something to look at with them. If they have multiple tabs open and they're toggling they may believe that they're multitasking, but they probably are more like actually switching. And that's cognitively draining and tiring. Mm -hmm. So really talk to them too about what is a good brain break. Um, 
for me, some yoga is a good brain break, some breathing, you know, for them, it might be bouncing a ball or going outside and running around the block. But for most of us, toggling between different windows is not a good brain break. This is, a, this is important to know because it, it is something that we do ourselves often. And so it's not surprising that our children are also possibly having trouble in that same area. What about for the child? And this is, I mean, I think a fear for many children. You certainly talk about it in ScreenWise. If a child seems like they're using tech to kind of escape, that they are detached a lot of the time, they seem like their friendships are not developing or they're not maintaining the friendships they once had. If you can imagine that child sitting in front of you and you're concerned, what could you say to broach that topic and help cope with that situation? Well, I might actually ask the child if they would consider being in therapy. If, if I really thought, for example, that depression was a root cause or social anxiety was a root cause of, especially a kid who, I mean, the, the kid who's more of an introvert but has the one or two good friends that they really enjoy is not the kid I'm worried about if they seem happy and that's been a long time situation. The kid who's actively pulling away from friends or ha, you know, has kind of lost their friend group and hasn't found a new friend group, those kids I'm more concerned about. Um, and if they are using tech to isolate, you know, ongoing. And, and I would make sure that it's not just from you. <laughs> because the kid who uses texting because they don't really want to deal with you, <laughs> that may be a relationship issue with you. And to some degree, that also sounds like development in adolescence. Like, I'm not saying the kid who will never talk to you, that's maybe an issue. But the kid who wants some space from mom or dad is not necessarily in some kind of developmental trouble <laughs> or emotional trouble. That's pretty typical as kids mature. But the kid who wants space from everyone, the kid who's not seeing anyone face to face, um, that's that's concerning. And so, you know, would they consider doing therapy? Would they consider, you know, joining a youth group and doing that unplugged? You know, give, being getting into a new social space that gives them a new opportunity. I would, again, give them as many options as possible. I had one mom who was very concerned. Her kid wrote fan fiction all the time, which I think kids writing fan fiction is great. and It's part of a community. But she felt like I was really taking over, and this kid's fan fiction community was her whole life. And so she made a plan with her daughter where she had to do a couple of things that were totally unplugged, like take a dance class and I think be part of like her synagogue youth group and and to kind of balance out some of the um, fan time. Right, so right. She, she some kind of out, balance outrule the fan time because she felt like there was some of it that was positive but that just she felt like it was taking over and but she was open with her daughter too that that she was worried that this was taking over and she needed to see her kids show her some evidence that she had another some other aspects of her life good point and I think it's important for kids to realize that you know we're we're here because we care and we we want to know about that world but it's also a message to parents to say show an interest in that world, even if you don't understand it, maybe the question is, let me in, show me what it is that you're doing so that I understand it more. And and then you may not be as concerned as you once were. Absolutely. And I think some of the teen shows, I mean, this kid was a fan, she was writing about a show called The Fosters, which is a very sort of soapy, wonderful teen show that I love. Mm -hmm. Definitely wouldn't be maybe like a lower middle grade show, but certainly with high school kids, they know about a lot of those issues. But I mean, just for parents who are listening, that the kids do drink and have sex and other things, so you might not want to watch it with your fourth grader. But it is a really compelling show. There's a lot of great parenting on the show. The parents really stand up for their kids on the show, which is great because we see so many horrible media examples like 13 Reasons Why, where the parents are clueless and the counselor's out to lunch and the adults are just idiots. Mm -hmm. And so I love to see a show like The Fosters where the adults are real and, and stand up for their kids and show up for their kids and you see them worrying at night over their kids. So the parents come through a lot better on the show. So anyway, these, this kid was a big fan of that show. So the mom watched the show with her so that she could relate to some of her interests. And I think if you can have a show or something that gives you a nice shared context with your kids, I think that's really helpful. And I will admit in my family, my husband has a lot more shared taste culture with my kid whose taste runs a lot toward the Star Wars and the Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, and Same. I find it harder. Yeah. I tried to watch Thor with him this weekend. I didn't make it through the whole thing. My husband did. But okay, you know, <laughs> that's good. At least one of us is there with some of those texts. And there, there are other contexts like the books we read at night that are, we're all involved with. But I think having some shared texts, uh, there's also a podcast that we listen to together as a family. And I think podcasts are great with kids. If you 
want your kid to be part of a great story, but you want to reduce screen time, you know, try a podcast. I would, I would really advocate for them. Oh, um, the well, kids thank you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, parenting podcasts are great for kids. Kids podcasts are great for kids. But I think the, um, that having some of those shared context is just great because then it's like you can talk about what do you think of the decision the siblings made not to tell on their sibling who got drunk at the party on the Fosters versus it's always about you and what would you do if you saw someone drinking at a party mm, and then your kid mm-hmm. is under the microscope and feels like she has to lie or you know knows that there's a right and a wrong answer. I think getting into it with a show where it's outside of your reality is really a great space to open up conversations. Mm, yes, a wonderful springboard for discussion. That's a great idea. Well, we've come to the point where we can do our top tip. So what is one crucial tip that you would want people to take away from listening to this podcast so that they can have a more successful conversation or set up more successful limits, whatever it might be, around screen time and media use? I would say stay really curious about what the app or the piece of technology or whatever the thing is, the game, what it really means to your kids. Don't assume that they're using tech the way you do. Just really get curious about, well, what is, what, what is, what's really happening in Minecraft or what's really happening on the group text? What are you really excited about um, that's there? And that will help you understand why it's so compelling for your child and also help you understand what some of the risks and challenges can be as opposed to I think when we assume that we know uh, it's it's a little trickier to make rules that actually make sense mm-hmm. and and also many of us and me included you know as parents can can certainly parent with those fears in mind oh my goodness my child's going to become distracted they're going to become you know completely absorbed they're going to you know fall into this tech hole and never come out and sometimes they are using tech in a very different way and they are not in the same mind space as you think they are. Absolutely. So getting, getting the real information can do a lot to reduce our fears. You know, our kids don't necessarily want Snapchat so that they can sext. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee that if your nine-year-old is asking for Snapchat, that's not why she wants it. Right. <laughs> that's not to say you necessarily are going to say yes or no, but it's just good to, to, to sort of think about, you know, with from a more reality-based perspective, what they're actually asking for. Exactly, exactly. Now tell us the resource of the week. Where can people go to find out more information about you or your book or any of your speaking engagements? Absolutely. Well, my, my website is Grand Central for all of that. So I would say just go to RaisingDigitalNatives.com and there you'll find access to all my social handles and my book. And if you want to jump on my mailing list, that's there. So all of all of the things are, are there. And then I, I teach classes as well. So I'm just starting to do that. Um, really fun, fun stuff is on my website. So, and then if you want to talk, you can also email me and that's on my website too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so very much, Devora Heitner. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think you provide such a positive way of looking at screen time and at media use that we need we need to talk about. And I also like that you want us to put parameters around things and understand our kids and how they can grow up as digital natives, not in a fear-based world, but in a way that they're educated and that we are mentoring them so that they're getting what they need in order to use it wisely. I I love all of those tips that you've provided and certainly the scripting that so many of us need so that we can have the important conversations right now. Thanks so much. It's really fun talking with you about this. And I love the idea that you've shared about helping write out some notes for a phone call. I'm going to share that with parents because a lot of kids are super nervous about phone call skills and people still need to know how to use the phone. It's one of the things I advise people to do in ScreenWise, but I I don't think I suggested that they write it out. So I'm going to share that around. Thank you. Well, thank you. They're on sticky notes and it's inside of a cabinet right now. (sighs) That's, I mean, so she, she has it right there. There's two pieces. One is uh, what to do when somebody actually answers the phone, and one is how to leave a message. 
So she's she's covered both ways. <laughs> a whole generation of her friends is going to be better off for this. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And it's totally adorable. And and I have been getting messages back saying, I, I got her adorable message. And it was so great to hear from her. And I'm going to have my child call. What a good idea. So I, I think it's important. Yes. Good. We need phone skills. And yes, we also need these digital skills. We need both. They still need both. Yes. <laughs> well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to drrobinsilverman.com or we can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page on Facebook. Let's chat about it. I'm off twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes, rate, review it, and share it so people can get more information on how to raise digital natives, how to make sure that their children are thriving in a world where technology and uh, savviness in tech use is important and needed. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's some great podcasts up there. Show notes are up there. And I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, perhaps you haven't had these conversations. Your kid's already got the phone. He's already got the, the iPad whatever. You've got this. No problem. You've got the information you need. I know it's not always easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting, it's the ultimate do-over. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.